Hey folks, Luke here with a quick programming announcement before we get started today. Uh, you might be wondering, why is there vengeance in my feed today? This isn't a Vengeance Tuesday. Well, I have good news for you because every Tuesday is a Vengeance Tuesday now. Or at least this one and the next four Tuesdays will be Vengeance Tuesdays because we are going weekly. Uh, for the home stretch of this show, I'm just so excited about these last few episodes. I've been working ahead on production a little bit, and I've got us to a place where we can go weekly for these last five, including this one. So, uh, as I mentioned, like way back when we started this show, uh, this volume one of this adventure has 41 episodes in it. So, including this one, we have five to go, and they will be coming at you weekly. Uh, so, I hope you enjoy uh, the faster pace. Should uh, underline some intensity that occurs. No spoilers. Uh, but there's some very fun stuff coming up. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, please enjoy this episode, and we will see you in a week. <laughs> Where find all the soups and the, the soft fishes? <laughs> Do not ever say the phrase soft fishes again. <laughs> Writing it down. You, you cannot think, ruin an entire class of animals. I think me. we already found the title. And we haven't we didn't even start. <laughs> we haven't started yet. I think we got there. Yeah, allow me to, to transition with that. Uh, we see the, the soft fishes swimming around the lake of High Lake as the sun shines down on the gently swirling water and the curious bubbles in the center of the lake. And as we see this, we think back on what we experienced watching our heroes last time, which was... Previously on Vengeance. They've been conscripted by... There are two queens of High Lake, two sister queens, to help in the attempted retaking of Stone's Throne. No! To take it back from Tommy Gilis. Yeah, and it is defended by a mysterious and powerful veiled warrior. The largest orc woman you've ever seen holding one of these huge, probably like 800-pound machines. There are people who are trying to outmatch the warrior with skill or cutting. I just want to do it with metal and spikes and shit. Name's Yuloth, by the way. Gibetto, Falkland, Filchbatter, Nack. Yeah, I got, I got that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Any sort of, like, indication of a criminal network or, like, mob organization? I think the contact you would have been given by somebody would be Horace Halfheart. How did he get past the filter? How do you do, Horace? What were these uh, gentlemen in here talking about? Murders in the city? That seems unlikely, given the protection. Indeed. I myself have wondered how you managed to get past the gates. So they are talking about us? Or me? Well, mostly you, but also your friends. Mm. Yeah, if I didn't know what I know, I believe I'd draw the same conclusion that everyone else is drawing. What do you know? Well, I know what I need to know. How about you share some of this? Well, you just snuck into my office, so... Hey, it was wide open. And you're admitted into uh, the palace. Here's some biscuits. We just wanted to offer our help. We have encountered mighty magical foes before. Such as? Well, most recently, Rigel. You must be joking. The two advisors, Ankaria and Horace Halfheart, seem to be, like, hanging on your every word. Why don't you take up some of the time of my counselors here? They can be the judge of whether your claims are valid. If it's okay with everybody, I was going to start us off. Uh, Y'all were leaving the palace to go sort of confer with Ankaria and Horace Halfheart, the editor of the High Lake Herald, in Ankaria's quarters. So if that's cool with everyone, um, you are in a high chamber at the top of Ankaria's tower. From there, you can see all the sites of the city. 
as shown in our little map. And I think Ankaria is very tall and imposing and has copper skin and dark hair braided in small loops on the sides of her face. She holds a tall staff, uh, an elven staff with an orcish trinket hanging from the top of it. And Horace Halfheart, you've, you've yet to see him standing. He seems to have been born on a, I've uh, never said it out loud, divan? Yeah. Devon? We'll I think yeah. Devon. Uh, a chair that people carry. Um, and he's a wealthy-looking fellow in rich robes, uh, and he bears the crest that is the symbol of the High Lake Herald. Their servants have served you a, uh, a tea service and leave the room. Uh, they suddenly drop their formal demeanor and address you frankly and say, thank goodness you found your way to us. We have been in the dark. We have no idea what's happening with the quest. We're so glad that someone has carried the torch since Ralsara disappeared and Kaos was murdered, it seems. What's happening? Tell us everything you know. Can I make an insight check? Sure. Okay. I can try. Uh, that's a nat one. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to hang on to that. Okay, cool. Yeah. We all look at each other, hoping someone will tell them everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Palfrey at this point tells them everything he knows, like in a completely forthright and transparent way. Reveals all the. I don't think I don't think a role. Like I'm assuming that they're telling the truth and that they are working in earnest. So I'm going to reveal to them our entire life, not our life story, but our the you know the events that have transpired up to this point, and the artifacts and um, you know encounters with Rigel and fighting the. Uh, Encountering Sergio again and all of that good stuff. Cool. So I'm not going to make you guys give me the play-by-play of this entire campaign so far, but I would like to hear you state for them like the sort of big picture elements as you understand. Like, why are you searching for these things? What are they? Who are the parties involved? Like the kind of big points. Okay. So as far as Palfrey is aware, <clears throat> the issue is that the Catholic subcommittee, which was thought to have been destroyed or, or eliminated or banished or gone, their elements of them are still present, in particular Rigel. And it is important to him to get his hand on his hands, on uh, his enormous big red hand. On, <laughs> his red right hand. His red right hand, as Nick Cave would say, um, on these uh, artifacts of which we have collected several. And it is important to us to stop him from doing that. That's great. And are you aware of the significance, the, the source of power of, the, of these objects and their provenance and the danger that they pose? Are they from the Ascendants? Yes. It, and I, I understand you've been in contact with Valens, who is not one of our order, but who is greatly knowledgeable about them. These objects, a subset of Ascendant beings, chose to imbue worldly objects with their power, along with the power, each of them in tandem, with a person from our world. And it seems to have something to do with anchoring them to this place. And I just very quickly, with your permission, of course, I just, you seem knowledgeable in a way that most folk we encounter are not. And uh, that unsettles me. I'm practical. I like to look at the best and often worst case scenario. So with your permission, I'd like to cast Zone of Truth and ask a couple of questions. Oh, I certainly. I have. I have no trouble with that. Uh, is that okay with you, Horace? And uh, Horace gives you a, a long, silent look up and down, and finally nods solemnly. And by the way, it's Ankaria has been doing all the talking. So. Okay. The way it works is they know that they are ensorcelled. Yeah. If they if they don't want to lie, they can just not answer. But if they speak, they must tell the truth. 
Now, do they get a roll to resist this? Uh, I believe they do, actually. Okay, and I'm not saying either of them is resisting. I'm just asking. The other thing is that it's like it's like 60 feet, so also all of us can only tell the truth. All the birds flying around the building. Yeah. Do we have to make a check, too? Uh, only if you want to resist. Okay. Yeah. It's a 15-foot radius. They do get the option to make a charisma saving throw. Cool. What's the DC? 13. Okay. I think Magnus is going to try and resist. <laughs> <laughs> a saving throw? Yeah, saving throw. Oh, that's a 17, oh, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, since you resisted... Can you tell that I've resisted? I can tell that you've resisted. Okay. Nobody else can. Okay, so I'm just like, mm. can, can you tell anyone who has resisted? Yes, yes. I can tell whether or not a, a, a creature has resisted. Successfully resisted. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you can tell that Horace Halfheart has resisted. Oh, Jesus. All right. Anybody else resisting? Yeah, I feel like Pimlin would resist, naturally. Yes. Not surprising at all. So, <laughs> it's charisma, right? Yeah. Oh my god, I rolled a natural one. <laughs> oh. So it's a, it's a three. It's a, it's a three modified, so. Ooh. Okay. That's not 13. I don't like it's this. Not. And Nick, I, here, is, here is my challenge to you. I challenge you to insert inconvenient truths into this conversation. As a <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the outcome of the one. <laughs> okay. So, just to break the ice very easily. Are you being completely forthright with us? Y- yes, of course. Both of you? Uh, Horace gives you a stern look. <laughs> uh, I, I don't really like that. Is there anything that you're holding back from us about these items? No. And Horace shakes his head no. That's not, he's not really talking though, so that's not technically a lie. God, I hate this person. Um, saying this out loud. <laughs> and uh, just a couple more, and then I'll take requests. Whom do you serve? <laughs> and Karia says, she looks at Horace and says, I'm going to have to say it, aren't I? And he says, we didn't pick the name, but we have to honor her wishes. She says, okay. Uh, we, we are, uh, we're, we're part of the, we're part of the resistance, the br- the brosistance. <laughs> it is called the brosistance. It's a name Ralsara came up with back when she was starting out as like a sort of folk hero leader in Nearway. The papers were calling it the resistance, and she didn't like how negative that sounded. And she was like, "No, we're all brothers and sisters. We're the brosistance." It's more charming. Like, she would say it, oh, we're the brosistance. Like, her, her draw makes it more charming, but I just hate saying it. So, yeah, we're the brosistance. There aren't a lot of us left at this point. But I guess your part now, too, since you've been doing most of the work that we've been intending to do. That is an incredibly interesting name. I mean, our party is called Vengeance, so. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I actually feel better now. We, we both have silly <laughs> names. Good. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is there anything anybody else wants to do? I mean, we've got a little bit of time left before I just uh, like this spell out. Who else is part of the brosistance? Well, if Ralsa is alive somewhere, she remains our leader. I hope she's alive, because she's really the only reason stuff gets done in this world, in my experience. Kaus was. Volens has been sniffing around our matters for a long time, but we've managed to keep him at bay. 
we'd really like to keep him out of things because he's so old and set in his ways. Um, yeah, so, like, was he a child when last you saw him? So he is so obsessed with the study of the Ascendant and their supposed immortality that he's been trying to find a way to become immortal himself. And I understand he's been trying to create some sort of fountain of youth or something, and he's a good researcher, but not a great wizard in my experience. Huh. But to answer your question, no. Last time I saw him, he was very, very old. Uh, huh. But incidentally, uh, his younger brother is in Aguilar and is uh, one of our number. And we have a few operatives keeping an eye on the oppressed city of Nearway, uh, but that's about all we have at this point. Honestly, we're trying to keep it covert. And it's a little alarming that we've just widened our circle by one, two, three, four, five, six. Well, so, to be fair, it was Klaus's fault, you know. It was it was his fault dying? I mean... Everything's a choice. Yeah. <laughs> so you were some of the last people to see Klaus. Can you tell me about that? What was he doing? He spends most of his time as a corpse. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe he was having a good time. He uh, seemed to be under the control of some bodyguards. He seemed afraid of the people that he was with. You know, his role in our group was to learn about the great craftings of the Ascendant and try to discover their whereabouts, but I had insisted that he should not be involved in their retrieval, and yet he stumbled across one of them, the uh, Catchpenny Cutlass, which I see at your waist there, Pimlin, and uh, he couldn't help himself but retrieve it. And, of course, nervous and clumsy as he is, it fell into the wrong hands, and Unfortunately, it was his end. And then the right hands immediately after. Right, Pimlin? Exactly. I did not lie to you guys for weeks upon weeks of what happened to us. Not at all. <laughs> Two questions. One for our newly met friends here. Which of us do you find to be the most formidable and imposing of an opponent? Physically attractive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, and Horace speaks up. He says, formidable, you say. Well, it seems to me only one of you has had the courage to use one of these objects in your travels. Or perhaps two of you, but one of you has used them extensively. And of course, that would make them the most formidable. And he's looking at Suka, of course. How do you know she's used it? Well, you can see its aura, of course. Can I see its aura? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, I've just casted a detect magic as we've been sitting here. Can I make another insight check? <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. That was a natural 20. <laughs> huh. So I'm hold I was holding that one. I think I'm going to no. downgrade your 20. That's fine. That's oh, fine. Oh, that's brutal. No, that's fine. <laughs> oh. Right? A liar knows a liar. Yeah. Um, th you catch a glint in Horace's eye, like an a glint of envy. Okay. I think over the course of the next few minutes of conversation, I'd like to slowly position myself between him and Suka, just like very casually. Okay. Final question. And I'm going to turn to the members of Vengeance and go, do you guys really like my plans? Do you think the plans are good? I've been working on <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to plan how to plan better. And uh, it starts with good, you know, research. And just, I was, I've been waiting for this moment to kind of, sorry we had to do it in front of strangers, but you know, Worst case scenario, I just come up with a new plan for planning. Yeah, I feel like we don't need to be here for this, but what are we going to do? 
Oh, none of them are responding. And I'm gonna take. I'm, I'm gonna pull out a sheet, and I'm just gonna put something next to a bunch of names. <laughs> <laughs> if I may ask a question before you drop your zone, Gibetto, why have you chosen to carry these most valuable items out in the open into dangerous areas without any sort of protection apart from yourselves? Which <laughs> don't get me wrong, I see how uh, formidable you are. Technically speaking, one of them is under immense protection. <laughs> one of them will return to an interesting little creature in Guildford upon our untimely deaths. The other two, though, that's an excellent question. We haven't thought about this much. It's just a cool staff. We did just find out that, that one of the items was in our possession, in all fairness. That is true. If anyone wants to attack us and try to take these treasures from us, they may. He's always like this. <laughs> and what if they win? No one's won so far. Yeah, that is difficult for me to imagine. And Alfred is not a boastful man by nature, but like reflecting on the events of the past weeks, like, I don't know. I mean, if we encounter someone stronger than us and they take these things from us, then like, I suppose they will have earned it. We are out here giving it a good faith effort. We're just working our asses off. And if that's not good enough for these people, then I encourage them to get out of the field. Maybe they can find some artifacts. <laughs> to be fair, we have not yet found a place that I would trust to be safe from Rigel. So why not have them and use them? Exactly. Where, where would we put them? Is there a special, like, bank vault somewhere yeah. that you put these things? Like, what There's are they a very nice about? hotel. Is there a very nice bank vault? A very secure bank vault? As a matter of fact, my newspaper, the Highlight Herald, has... The most secure vault in the world, in its catacombs. And I would be more than happy, in fact, I would actually get some sleep for the first night in months if I could store these items for us and for the good of the free people of this earth in that vault. Oh, is he tired? I've been carrying the fate of the world on my fucking back for the last three weeks. Like, come on. I would just like to say it might be the most secure vault, but I am the most skeptical elf on the world in the, on the planet. Um, well, as I understand it, you have well, as I heard it, you have just gone before our queens and offered your services in the retaking of Stone's Throw and the tearing down of Gilus the Powerful, who I don't know how powerful you have realized he is. Uh, the answer is very, and so I just questioned the wisdom of carrying these most important objects directly to him, a being who seems to absorb every valuable thing that comes in his path. I think actually something about the way that he said that um, has actually given Palfrey a little bit of pause because I don't know much about Gilus. I fear no man, but if there's some reason we should be especially concerned about him coming into possession, his ability to come into possession of these things, if we confront him with them, we should know about that. And maybe, maybe we should take steps. I think the most important step in all of this that we take is recognizing that if we don't bring... It, I know those of you who don't participate in the crafting of immaculate items might not be as familiar, but when your enemy is very powerful and you have very powerful things, that is called gaining an advantage. So if we were to march to this Gilus fellow and not have the most cutting edge of weaponry or devices to bolster our own abilities we might as well go home. What is the point of an incredibly powerful magical set of bracers if we don't have a badass elf wearing them? 
what is the point of an incredibly powerful magical staff if there isn't some amount of a half-orc holding it? Like... Look at Finland. I mean, he's been carrying around the sword for a really long time. Finland's never even almost died. <laughs> That's true. But has he used it? No. Yeah. Look at the size of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can technically use it. <laughs> I guess I never put that together. The thing is probably about as tall as he is. Like, what's yeah. He yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not really like hiding well in my cloak at all, you know? <laughs> I would put this forward. Us having them all together in one place is as near as we can get to a perfect vault. Because what moron would step against a coalition of eldritch and powerful objects? And to be fair, we don't have them all. We don't have them all. Well, that's not really in our favor. Um, no, but I'm saying, like, the work... We're trying to get them all. I think Incario would step step in here to try to de-escalate a little bit and say, I think Horace's concern rises mostly from the fact that, uh, as I understand the literature that Kaos is unearthed, these items, while powerful, are but a shadow of what they will be when they are all brought together. Their true power has not been revealed even in a small part at present. And so the concern is that they would be taken from you and immediately brought together. We, we don't know where the remaining ones are. Can we define brought together? Does this mean like they are touching, they're within five feet, they're within a half mile? I, I would just love to know the answer to that. That is the phrase that appears in the research that we have found, is brought together. Okay. That is all we know. What about this? We have an item in our possession that is not inherently useful to us, at least not as of yet. Oh my god, Mish. I'm having a moment. <laughs> it is the um, spectral cat. <laughs> well, he's very useful. I have a direct use for him. He eats all the, you know, wet food that I don't want to eat. Um, I've got all this wet food. <laughs> Soft fishes and wet food. That's what I'm in. <laughs> what if, to prevent all of them from being combined into one super object, we give to your vault this big gem that we have. No. <laughs> and that way, if your vault is compromised, we've only lost one. And if we are compromised, they don't have all of them. That sounds like an acceptable compromise to me. Yeah. Horus seems not ready to take any of this, but Ankaria sort of steps forward and says, you know, Horus, I, I understand your uh, conservative approach you're advocating for. But I think, indeed, it, it stands to reason that if our friends here have managed to guard these objects and faced as many foes as they say they have and have not yet lost them, I don't see a reason to change that. And I'm also, I have to say, compelled by the argument that these should be on our side in the fight against Gilas the Powerful, which we have fought ceaselessly against without gaining an inch up that mountain these, these past few months. As someone who went to school with Gilas the Powerful for like a year before I dropped out, I would love nothing more than to bring the spell swaddle staff to his neck of the woods. Quick, can I, as an aside to Magnus? Yeah. You ever think you should have stayed in school? <laughs> no. I have the most powerful staff on the planet, man. I don't need to go to school. Can't argue with that. Continue. <laughs> And at that, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop zone of truth. 
Uh, you hear an audible uh, sigh or a uh, uh, breath of relief from uh, Horace Halfheart. Well, so I'm afraid I don't have much more information to offer to aid you in your quest beyond what Kaus had recorded in his journals, which I understand you have. I can tell you that we recently reached out to Origa, who is not one of our order, but who we knew he was staying with. And unfortunately, she could only tell us that uh, a group of frighteningly inexperienced adventurers had taken up his quest, which it's, you see much more experienced than you were, if that is who indeed she was referring to. Yeah, that was weeks ago. That was a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think in game time it was something like three weeks ago, which is a little, <laughs> a little wild, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, she has actually stopped answering our message spells recently. And we are, we are concerned for her well-being. But that's that's beside the point. The task before us, and lest we forget why we are here at our Queen's Command, uh, is twofold. One, whether or not Rigel remains a threat, which, of course, we all know he is. And, well, you've spilled the beans there, so I guess we just have to confirm that to them. Honestly, we've been just trying to give them one challenge at a time. So that's fine. The other is how to take this mountain back. Leave that to us. Okay. And also uh, several other... Like, and look, an army. You have an army. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, thank you for saying that part, because that's a very important part, I think. Yes. Yeah, but, like, we'll work with them. Do you know if Gilas's father is still around? I'm, I'm not aware of his family tree in the slightest. This fellow seemed to come out of nowhere. He certainly didn't do that. He was a foot shorter than me. I could pick him up with one arm when we were children. He's lived in Stone's Throw his whole life. You know, if I'm not even sure that he could read. Uh, not that that's a problem. I just don't think that that was the direction his passions took him. Alfred can't read. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Paul. Oh, I can read. I can, we've been over this. <laughs> that's a good callback to, like, weeks and weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Nearly a year ago. <laughs> Nearly a year ago. <laughs> My point is, is that Tommy Gilles' father was a researcher who thought that there was a portal on the mountain to the elemental plane. And I, I know I, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Uh, but he used to travel around with all this gear. And I don't know if, I mean, I don't think they had a terrible relationship. I don't know if we could bluff our way in dressed as researchers with a bunch of gear on our backs. Are they both named Gilles? And if that's the case, is it possible that they're actually talking about the father and not the son? Gilas is their last name. Yeah, so so oh, maybe no. the Gilas that they're describing is, in fact, the father. Well, you see, Palfrey, the child is the father of the man. <laughs> that Emerson? <laughs> Whitman, right? That's Walt Whitman. One of Palfrey doesn't know that, but I'm just asking. <laughs> oh, but Palfrey grew up with young Walt in Sen, did he not? <laughs> <laughs> Walt Whitman of Sen, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I think when you mentioned the portal to an elemental plane, their eyes go very wide when you say that. Like, what? I mean, I, I never saw it. I grew up there. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing? It's potentially very bad if a bad person has opened some sort of portal into an elemental plane of some sort. Would that explain some of what your attempts have encountered up there? Somewhat. Uh, to, to fill you in, the forces which have gone up there, which have been numerous uh, and determined, have been driven back, uh, I believe, as you've heard, by a veiled warrior, but also equally so by swirling clouds of sand and dust that seem sourceless and drive anything attempting to go up the mountain back down. 
has anyone reported back any other details about that fighter, you know, fighting style? Just that they seem to be propelled by these same winds and seem to be able to be in, almost to be in multiple places at once. They can drive back an entire broad front of, of warriors ascending the, the mountain. What if the main forces of your army went to one area to distract this swords person and we went to a place that wasn't there? I'm listening. What if a diversion was made so that we might slip at least a few members of our ranks past this buffeting, you know, Jimmy of a swordsman? It's an interesting idea. The, the issue is that even in the absence of the swordsman, you'd still have to contend with the powerful winds. And I believe that's the main part of the problem that Yuloth has been attempting to solve with her crafting and fabricating. It's some sort of machinery that could make progress unimpeded by wind. That is something that I have discussed with Yulof, and that is still a key that needs made. But also, this plan might work if, if we could figure that out. This sounds like something we could present to the queens. Yeah. Uh, I would propose we take this plan to them if you don't have any other questions. Is it impolite to visit the queens twice in one day? Uh, not when you are the two highest counselors in their court. Perhaps for you, but you're in our power. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. We're on the same page. Uh, cool. So to cut to the quick, they would uh, go back to the palace with you and, and pitch this plan, uh, which, as I understand it, is basically all of their forces will attack in one part of the mountain, and you guys will sneak in the other part, perhaps with the aid of some sort of machine. Yeah, and I think perhaps Magnus's expertise of the terrain. Cool. I like this. Does anybody else have any other elements they want to throw into this plan? No, but I will mention that uh, uh, mountains are a favorite terrain of mine. So yeah, they are so you and me. It's good. This is very good. Um, I think as that council is breaking up, Ankaria would take you aside, Hemo, and say, would you come with me, please? Okay. <laughs> um, and she takes you to the Harrow tree, this huge tropical tree. And she says... Um, as you might know, this specimen was brought out of the Harrowwood when our people left many, many years ago. And I lately have come to a theory, which is that I believe this tree shifts its appearance to reflect the goings-on in the Harrowwood. And it's certainly been noted that its leaves change color and fall in all times of the year and unrelated to the seasons. And it's shown strange symptoms. And I just wonder if from your experience living among where this tree came from, you might have some insight into its current state. And as you approach this tree, you hear a cracking above your head, and a huge limb breaks off of it and falls to the ground violently. And you see that several branches on that same side have been knocked off all in the same direction, almost as if something large had, like, slammed into it. Um, and if I could have a perception check, uh, I might have some additional information from you. I rolled a um, 11. Okay. Uh, with an 11, you also perceive there's some very small patches of purple herbs growing among its roots. Okay. Uh, well, when I was last in the Harrowwood, I, I had returned from uh, wandering around the, the world. And when I came back, it, it looked as though uh, there were some very large beings, perhaps giants, walking through that had uh, some, something of immense strength, had knocked over a lot of the trees. Uh, there was also uh, what appeared to be a, um, a magical flame that had just wiped out a large portion of the city. But it was very 
perfectly shaped. So it, it seemed man-made, not, not something wild and uncontrolled. And then there, there seemed to be a bit of a purple hue around that. At the time, I had no idea what it was. I had never seen anything like that before. But since joining the party, it seems that it could be connected to something. There were bits of new growth that were showing up where the damage had been done to show that uh, perhaps things could return to what they once were. But I left before I had the chance to fully explore and to see if the immense beings were, were still present or not. I, I don't know. I, I just saw that there were a lot of dead fellow elves around and a lot of damage to the buildings. So uh, I didn't stay around. So I'm not sure if they're still there or, or not. You know, I'm so sorry to hear it, but I have to say that story lines up with my theory. And she takes you around to the back side of the tree and shows you a large blackened hole that she says appeared in the trunk about six months past. And that seems to line up with just about when that disaster occurred in your home. Yeah. The tree has been peaceful since then, but just recently it seems to show these signs of additional violence, some sort of tumult happening there. And these herbs around the base of the tree are also new growth. And it seems this tree sort of works in, in a symbolic way. And I'm concerned as to what role uh, Rigel and his forces may play in the things happening there now. Yeah, it seems that they might be there looking for something and their, their presence is growing. So. Well, I'm glad we've run into you as, as someone who's from there because that, that helps to understand what's going on here. So thank you for sharing your story. While they're kind of pitching the idea to the queens, can I take Suka aside subtly? When Horace was talking about you being the most powerful with the bracers, and I think we all know he's right, I didn't like the look on his face. There was, there was envy there that I wouldn't have expected to see from someone who's supposed to be helping us. So in the way that all of our enemies seem to target you a little bit, I would just... I don't know if he's an enemy, but I would be careful. Thank you. I was not paying attention at all. To- <laughs> <laughs> Our usual. So, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> You're welcome. Two of our party have already told him quite a bit. So I'd say let's, let's stop telling him things. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Luke Brevort, your host and Dungeon Master, and today I'm speaking to you as uh, maybe one of the tea servants of uh, Horace Halfheart, who I guess is maybe, let's say that I have had a long and rich history of tea making that has led me to this moment, and let's say it's my first day, and I was trying to talk to my boss, Horace, just before this meeting, and I thought really hard about what I wanted to say, and I think I said it very well, but he just brushed me off, and it really hurt my feelings. And uh, so that's where I'm coming from right now. But uh, I'm here to tell you that the show is edited and sound designed by me, Luke Brevort. Uh, I guess that's the name of the servant. I am also a servant, and I make this show. Our theme song is Castles in Winter by Joel Van Drogenbroek. All other music is by me, the tea servant. The website for my sound work is splendorsound.com, and you can email the show at vengeancepodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to dry my tears with this embroidered napkin and uh, let you get on with the show. Goodbye. So basically, you guys have been brought into the fold of High Lake's effort to reconquer this mountain and take back Stone's Throw and, and dislodge Jill's the Powerful, whatever that means. 
So you are not like in charge, but you are in this collaboration of like all the resources they have available. You have a seat at the table. So what are you advocating for? What actions are you taking? Like we have the general like distraction sneak plan, but like now's the time to to gather forces and, and get chop it up as Colin said once. <laughs> So one of the main things we have to figure out is this uh, machine that's going to fight the wind, right? To get us up the hill, up the mountain, in a protected way. So uh, I, I think we probably should contribute some ideas to that because they were struggling with that a bit, if I recall correctly. That's important. Yeah. These mountains, like, not to sound like a complete dullard, but these are not like earthy mountains. These are stone mountains, right? That's right. I think, Magnus, you would know from your youth that uh, Mount Arduous, really wish I thought of a better name for that, but we're calling it Mount Arduous. Uh, there is like a marked shift in the geology of the landscape when you kind of arrive on the, the base and then start climbing Mount Arduous. The surrounding mountains are kind of like a, a crumbling sort of brown earth, maybe more like a sandstone kind of thing. Um, Mount Arduous is like a steely angular like it looks as if a single sharp rock jutted out of the earth and it is like separate from the surrounding landscape yeah i was gonna say i think magnus's involvement is twofold i think uh he would meet with the folks who are like plotting specific strategy and like really breaking down like a map of stones throw down to like the buildings like if you go down this street you'll encounter the school and the grocer and like all this stuff and sort of like <laughs> Here's all the, like, just, like, these are buildings that you might encounter just so you get the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. um, but I think he's also going to, like, the orc camps with great discomfort and to the inns in town to try and lay some groundwork for if there are refugees, like, where they can come stay, mm -hmm. whether they're orcish or not. Oh, I see. Um, I think Magnus's efforts in that regard would probably lead him to interact with the new Orcish council okay. who seem to be uh, the sort of Orcish equivalent of the elven royals in the town and it's a sort of recently and hastily established group of Orcish elders who basically are advocating for the well-being of the newly arrived refugees and they are advocating for a second wall being built um, mm -hmm outward from the current wall to basically just make the protection part of the city larger. Yeah. I think to gain their trust and also because it sounds like a good idea, I think he would take that idea back to the queens mm -hmm. and just say, like, even if this goes well, there could be more orcs coming here. These camps are not as temporary as perhaps you expected. You know, if you truly want a city of, of, multiple, of two peoples, long term, you should give them more security. Cool. Let's have a persuade roll with advantage, please. Okay. Uh, that would be a 21. Damn. Okay, yeah. They're on it. They allocate resources immediately, and construction on the wall begins the following day. I have one, actually. I'd like to pull, again, Suka to the side. <laughs> like, everyone wants a piece of Suka this <laughs> Suka has a particular set of skills, and one of those is making very strong wind with her fists. I am supposed to be able to do that successfully, so. <laughs> do you think I could request that you help me in prototyping wind-resistant devices with, or like siege equipment with Uloth, if we like 
I don't know, put a big spoiler on a cart or something, and then you shoot wind at it to test it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's <okay. laughs> Yeah, I think I'd be up for that. It's also, I mean, no disrespect, it's incredibly hard to miss a cart. The only thing more difficult to miss would be the broadside of a barn. I have missed that before, so. Yeah. <laughs> Alarming. <laughs> Yes, I, I am concerned, though. You seem to be the type that works very hard and works long hours and, and may not take breaks. Like, I want to be sure that the working conditions are okay here. Well, the good thing is, is that you don't have to touch any steel. So myself and the rest of the craftspeople will be absolutely hammering away, quite literally. And then every couple of hours or so, at most, you just punch. That seems doable. Awesome. I can do those hours. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> it's just like having a sandwich like under a tree while you guys are working on stuff and you bring something out like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Another one? Ugh. Uh, Palfrey would like to suggest to Jibetta the possibility of a horse made of iron. <laughs> How many like soldiers could we fit inside of it? And then also, can we gift wrap it? It's a lovely thought, but no one goes inside of it. Only one person is on it. Is it you? Who else? <laughs> what if, we could just... I, I know a place where we could get a Modron and then kind of reconfigure it to be a spindly and terrifying quadrupedal creature. Yeah, in fact, if you got two, you could have one be the front of the horse and one be the back of the horse. And then <laughs> we could yeah, even... More of a pony that. at that point. We could put a real horse hide on it, and then it would look the part. Or do you want it to look like a nightmare from, you know, an artificer's fever well, I have to be honest. Uh, I have a very a feeling of great foreboding about the encounter we're about to have. And I think the more terrifying it is, the more fear it strikes into the hearts of our enemies, the better off we'll be. See, I have the opposite opinion. <laughs> I want them to laugh it off, and then they'll be <laughs> even more upset when we absolutely trounce them. You got a taste oh. for the theatrical, huh? That's another way to do it. <laughs> uh, are, are you by chance having this conversation in the proximity of Uloth? I, I, think, I, we, I think we would be. Yeah. Okay. Guys, listen. You keep talking about scaring them and tricking them, whatever. It's just the one warrior. It's the warrior and the wind. Are you saying we can't frighten the wind? I'm saying you can't frighten this warrior. There is nothing that cannot be broken, not even the wind. <laughs> well, let's just cut right to the cheese. I think. Uh, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I, I'm saying we set the parsnip paladins up there, and they were no match for this warrior. We sent all of the orcish berserkers up there at once. We sent both at the same time. We sent them plus the High Lake Palace Guard. We've sent everybody up there. This warrior just knocks them right back down. I'm saying we need some machine that makes the warrior irrelevant and makes the wind irrelevant. Irrelevancy is the most painful thing to feel. So when the wind hits Agnes. these devices, <laughs> is it knocking them end over end? What is the wind doing? It's the wind comes tearing down the mountain and it, and it makes it so they can't make any more progress. They're stuck still or it blows them backwards down the mountain. Is, so is, what we need here is maybe like a wedge shape that the wind would uh, aerodynamically flow over and press down on. So if it had spikes, so if it was kind of like a triangle shape with spikes in the bottom, then when the wind blows and presses the wedge down, the spikes would get pressed 
further into the ground, which would make it not go backwards, but we could push it forwards. So I have just created a shared drawing document in our shared folder. <gasps> I think we need to get a visual on what you guys are talking about. Can my wind counteract the wind? Like, can I push against the wind to create kind of like a... a An anti-wind. Yeah, yeah, like a stillness in, in the center where my wind is fighting their wind and everyone can run through. <clears throat> Competing breaking winds, interesting. <laughs> it's possible. Hemo at this time uh, is wandering around trying his best <laughs> to befriend a hawk or falcon. Uh, to get oh, interesting. The thought process is, you know, the wind will present a problem for a bird, but one, we don't know how high that wind goes, so the bird might be able to get above it, which could be interesting. He also just really wants a bird. Just want a bird. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really do well with a boar, so <laughs> try changing it up. So he's, I'm, basically I'm walking around having a lot of frank conversations with birds, explaining that I already killed off one companion, but you know, it was a good relationship. <laughs> and we cared for each other deeply. You know, it was much respect. I had a proper <laughs> funeral and burial for uh, 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 Rusty. <laughs> Are the uhs in character? Because that would be great. <laughs> Oh, yeah, anyway, that's what Hemo is kind of doing right now. Okay, do you want to resolve that? Do you want to try to pick up a new animal campaign? Uh, I will, but I'll, I'll come, and come back to that. Uh, okay. I want a little bit of time and effort. So. Okay, by the way, I forgot I had, I had a thing. So you're, the magic cow... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the magic cow, uh, had, I, I think I said, was improving uh, after like a day or so of, of proper food and such, uh, but actually has sort of stopped improving and seems like... It's no longer healing. It seems like it can't seem to regain its full health. Okay. And if you visit it, it looks weakly towards you and is sort of pleading. Okay. Uh, so I'll go over to the, the cow and uh, try and uh, talk to it, uh, see what's going on there. Okay. So. Um, let's have an animal handling role. Then. Okay. Uh, I was trying to get to the drawing document, so I am saying. <laughs> Which is becoming something very special here. <laughs> <laughs> Colin has just added a horse, like clip art of a horse. Animal handling, what was that, 20? What did you say, 23? Yeah. Damn, okay. Through, through signs, somehow, the cow indicates that, like, while delicious, the alfalfa and whatever else they've been feeding it, like standard horse cow stuff, isn't really doing it for her. Like, she maybe picks up a mouthful of, of hay and then, like, looks at you and, like, spits it on the ground and looks at you. Okay, so I, I figured out that they're not getting, getting it the right kind of food. So I, I'm going to try and find... Oh, man, I don't remember what it was eating. Uh, I'm going to try and find apples and try and feed it apples or anything else I can find uh, to see if I can figure out what might be a better source of food. Okay, I think that search would lead you to the gardens around the palace near the harrow tree, upon which you would notice there is a bright, huge, like, foot-wide like russet acorn hanging from it. Okay, so I'm gonna grab this this acorn bucket and take it over to the cow and, and offer it up. Um, see if he, if the cow will eat that, or maybe if the cow expects me to prepare it. Uh, in which case, I might have to get some good to punch it. But yeah. <laughs> am I just being used at this moment yeah, by punching skills yeah, yeah, for, yeah. by all of our team members? You, That's you are true. Not. <laughs> what other skill do we use of yours? <laughs> I mean, I do like to cook. Have you forgotten? 
We look well, a 50-50 of being poisoned by you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to have you crack this nut, and then I'm going to give it to the cow. Okay. <laughs> Great. Do I have to roll for this? Sure. Let's see how severely you crack this nut. And now the, cu- now okay, the cow Okay, so, so I'm, I'm doing a, an attack action on the nut? Yeah, give it your best punch, please. Punch this acorn, please. Okay, here goes. That would be a modified 20. Oh, it had an AC of 21. Just kidding. Yes, you you crack it. (laughs) Okay, so we give the nuts to the cow. Cool. Uh, The cow takes a few bites of this acorn, and immediately, like in a wave, a flourish of rainbow-colored feathers erupt from its face and down its body, and palm fronds stick out of its back, and it is returned to its original uh, Pokemon-esque glory, and it gazes up at you, uh, it nuzzles you with happiness. Nuzzles you with happiness. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so, just a mechanic question. The animal is too big to be a companion. I can only have medium-sized animals, so the cow is too large. Eh. Okay. That's why I didn't consider it for companion, is it's, it's, it was too big. But if, if I can have the cow as companion, I, I would choose that. Oh, certainly. How okay. Alright. Well, that, then that's what I'll do. Alright. I just want to hazard a little bit of caution. If a rough-and-tumble, terrifying, wild creature didn't fare the best, a domestic bird cow <laughs> might have difficulties in the wild. Uh, Don't I, underestimate it. You, you may have noticed it's not your typical cow and that it does some things that, you know, we don't always know. So I have very little frame for reference. Yeah. Uh, we we mostly milk lizards in the Underdark. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what am I looking at here, uh, machinists? <laughs> let's let's check back in on progress. And if you go to splendorsound.com slash vengeance, you will be able to see the drawing we are about to discuss. It's a doozy. Some some kind of horseshoe crab type situation? Yeah. Exactly. So like it's 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 aerodynamic. We could make it a pointier horseshoe crab. The yeah. tail spike drives into the ground if it's trying to be blown off. Ooh, I mean, interesting. There would be like yeah. wheels underneath, but also automaton spiky legs for grip, and then also a spoiler to keep the back end from lifting. So it's a, a horseshoe crab with a spoiler. <laughs> I, I mean, it's labeled. You want you want them? because horseshoe crabs are so fast. They need spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> this this one, this one races Formula One. <laughs> also, probably like some sort of like transparency in the front to see where you're going would not be a miss. Does anybody know how to cast the spell glass steel? And also, does that spell still exist in fifth edition? Because it used to it used to be a spell called glass steel you could cast that would make steel be as transparent as glass. And conversely, make glass be as hard as steel. That's dope. I would like to point out some, some physics about this uh, shape. Uh, <laughs> so with the you know rocks not being perfectly smooth, it's likely some wind might get underneath the front and then the tail being the point that digs into the ground being all the way in the back uh if the front were to lift it would just pivot and flip over that's what that's where the legs come in to also anchor and apply pressure <laughs> i think ash just wants a giant mecca horseshoe crab we can put, we can put weather stripping around the bottom <laughs> so like under lights you know if, if we like turn those legs around in the drawings so that they're pointing the other way so that if it's blown backwards they also dig into the ground that that, that could work i mean the legs are just legs. They will. We could put them in it whatever way is convenient. I'm drawing on a trackpad on a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, yeah. 
I've wanted it to be a horseshoe crab the entire time. Since the first time we met you, Lala. It's like, what if we sieged a town in horseshoe crabs? <laughs> well, we get to be in the horseshoe crabs. We're going separate. Well, okay, so that is the question. Are you built, because like the general consensus of the court and you know important persons would be that this machine is, is for you guys. Okay. okay. Like, like the distraction is the distraction. Okay. And and oh. this is the thing that needs to be like the guaranteed gets through. Yeah. So we should also add like a radar jammer to the top or something. <laughs> There's no tech in this world. Magical <laughs> radar jammer. No. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Raider's famous jam? <laughs> Maybe you need a distraction for the distraction. Wait, tell me more about the jam. <laughs> oh yeah well uh yeah raider has his uh jam shop uh, right in between lord Pexoon's eyewear emporium and uh the tower of ankari i believe all right i will be back great <laughs> <See> you later <laughs> i trust that you will all figure this out in my absence bet on it. i'll bring back some jam <laughs> and I'll, I'll punch anything when i come back <laughs> <laughs> we could attempt to like camouflage the crab with natural stones and whatnot. And then, you know, we try and sneak subtly around the periphery of the great battle that will be a bunch of orcs and elves getting whack-a-mold by one single warrior and also the wind. So, if I follow correctly, we're building something very large out of steel and stone, and we're going to be able to maneuver it. Up a mountain. Up a mountain. Up a mountain. I don't know, there might, there might be a... I mean, I'm not the strongest. I'm, I'm actually pretty sure I'm the weakest uh, person in the party. So, you know, maybe maybe you guys can carry the weight. But there is yeah. also, you have a Pokemon cow. True. I have magic, and Magnus has some amount of magic. and Some amount. I, I, I've seen the Pokemon <laughs> magic. Wow. All I'm saying is that we, we can figure this out. If we can build it, we can figure out the, <laughs> the difficult part. <laughs> I, I think, so here, here's what I think. I think that if we can get this device to make it through the wind, even if it doesn't move particularly quickly, some of us can be in the device and some of us can draw the ire of the warrior. Maybe, and, like, the immense weight is a bonus. It'll be that much harder to blow off of the mountain. I would just, I, I question whether we need... I mean, I don't want to ruin your uh, your your dreams here, but do we really need to cover ourselves? Like, wouldn't it be just as effective if it was more like just like a plow shape and we're behind it? The plow won't be able to enter the earth. And also, I think even I would probably be able to be blown off the mountain by this wind. For what it's worth, Yulof is a big fan of the horseshoe crab plan. That, okay. That checks, right. the, that checks the boxes based on the... Horseshoe um, crab it is. The information she has... <laughs> But I think she says, Hemo, you're you're right to observe that I, I'm assuming you guys will be operating these legs like land oars, basically. This is gonna be a lot of work. You're gonna be tired when you get this thing up the mountain. So that's that's the only drawback I see to this, is it's gonna take a long time, it's gonna take a lot out of you. Is it possible we could leave the locomotion of the thing up to Yulaw? Sure. Maybe we don't have to crack this nut. All we have to do right now is build a prototype and have Suka punch at it really hard. Yeah, you know, I had thought of maybe something that would harness the downward flowing wind and convert that into slow forward motion. Like a, a tur like the wind blows down and it hits a fan which powers a turbine and then that is that that's technology, isn't it? We can't have that. I don't know that word, but something 
that's great. I didn't have a name for the thing. Let's call it a, a, a tu- turbine. A turbine. I named it after a cloth I like to wrap around my head. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> I have a question. I, uh, so I'm back from getting the jam. Oh, <laughs> wow. What flavor did you get, Suka? I'm just dying to know. Huckleberry. Wow. That must be a new one. <laughs> um, out of my pocket, I pull the gravity ball that I've been carrying around for a really long time. There it is. I wonder if something we can do with that. Oh my god! Oh shit, says Eula. <laughs> it creates a 60-foot diameter sphere in which there is no gravity. If we can find a way to like remain within that sphere and move up the mountain, maybe that will help? The sticky boots. Oh. The boots. Yeah. Sticky boots. Who has those? I don't have those. Who does have those? Right? I have the boots. Pimlet has bought everything. <laughs> you have the anchor boots. I you do have the anchor. anchor. I, I hate so much that I'm saying this, but Pimlin, you are my anchor. <laughs> <laughs> now, the anchor boots, I'm rereading the description here. I don't think you can move with them. Right. Once, once per day, you can activate the boots by speaking anchor and stomping. The boots become attached to whatever surface or object they are touching and cannot be moved or detached for one hour or until the person who activated them speaks release. So it's a once a day thing. That could be helpful in case of like a massive gust of wind. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if we have structural failure on the crab, at least you could be safe. <laughs> <laughs> so if, we, if we put a bunch of forward momentum on the crab, like if, if a bunch of people got behind the crab and pushed really hard, <laughs> we use the gravity ball. It then would we lock it. Yeah. It would basically like fly the distance of the sphere, I think. I'm not a physicist, as the people often say on the internet, but I think that that's No, the wind would still have its effect. That's, that's uh-huh. what we're Within the gravity sphere? Yeah. So mm. can we put a scoop on the front of this, this crab, you know, like air intake uh, that funnels the air either down towards the ground to push the, the mass up a little bit using the air that's coming in, or we taper it, you know, fluid dynamics, air coming in, Tapering it down to a small hole will create like jet propulsion out the back end if you wanted to go that route. I cannot express how excited I am about this. Holy shit! What are you even talking about? That sounds great. <laughs> Single handedly bringing about a renaissance, like a sort of Vinci esque flowering of. Uh... I like to think we all just turn and look at him like we've never heard him say so much. <laughs> I think some combination of gravity ball and air intake is the way to go. Well, let's decide what is the exact mechanism that's happening. And what I'd like to get to is a point where we can have one or more roles from you guys showing like your contribution to the design process. And that will determine some of the stats of this thing. I have one final pitch for everyone. Air intakes, wonderful crab legs, gravity ball lightens the load. We strap into the crab chain ourselves in, python gun, to pull it up and to keep it from being blown away. We python gun into the ground, and then we have a a, a python crossbow. (laughs) Python crossbow. Okay. Which is a reasonable thing. And then while one person is rewinding the crossbow, another person fires, and there's always at least one or two points of contact. And we pull ourselves. We become the legs of the crab, because the crab is now weightless and so you're basically saying we, we, we Flintstone it. 
Yeah. Right, yeah. But, but we, with heavy artillery. But we pull the air in through the crab so that we can redirect it. I just like the air intake idea. Can you I want clarify to- one thing? Is it crab alive and conscious of all this current dimension? <laughs> not in the slightest. All right, all right. <laughs> but if you want, we can put a smiling face on it. Just make sure it's not alive. I, I was actually going to suggest that we, on the top of it, we get some uh, uh, armor and we get like a not a mannequin, but we basically make like the torso of a jousting knight with lance out of armor and put it on the front. Maybe we Very can. Very low profile. That, that goes against. <laughs> that would create so much drag. I know it's not a good idea from an engineering standpoint, but it's, it's a hood ornament, is what that is. <laughs> it's it's stupid ecstasy. Yeah, I just think we should paint it orange. That is the least stealthy color. <laughs> you should write vengeance on the side. <laughs> Well, I've got all this marmalade. <laughs> For writers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Let's lock in on these ideas. Let's roll with these ideas, if, if I may. Okay. Um, and so each of you who has contributed a main element of this, I would like some kind of role from each of you related to that thing. So I would, like, I would credit the jet propulsion idea to Hemo. I would credit the general crab like maybe the armor element of the crab to Gibetto, gravity ball is Suka. If there are other elements folks want to throw in to get a hand on the ball, that's fine too. I mean, I guess wouldn't mine be like advising on the type of terrain we're going to encounter? So like yeah, yeah. the pythons and stuff? Yep. And Pimlin has had some recent experience with pythons, so there's that too. Do you just want a straight D20 roll? I would take arguments for an apli- a skill that you think is applicable. Uh, the one I could find most applicable for working with the wind would be I'm trying to use nature. So that's yeah, the closest yeah. Cool. I'm a forge cleric, and forging is my religion, so I could use a religion bonus. Yeah, great. Perfect. You do anything with the pythons, I would say acrobatics. Cool. Unfortunately, the one that I think makes sense, I have a plus zero bonus to. Uh, but I think history check, like personal yes. history check. Yeah, I give you advantage since it's pertaining to your your home hometown. I pulled something out of my pocket and said, "Hey, I've held on to this for a while. Can it be useful? What skill is that?" Hmm. Intelligence. Yeah, sure. Is that a? Th- I don't, oh, okay. Just, just in just, general. Yeah, just okay. like a general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suka has our one brain cell at the moment. <laughs> I, uh, Don't speak too soon. I went ahead and rolled, and uh-huh. uh, in true Hemo fashion, I rolled a natural one. Did you really? I did. Oh, my God. However. I rolled a natural 20. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a 15 and then a 20. Okay. I got a 21. Okay. I got a 5. Okay. You got a 25. 25. Pal- Palfrey is, I'm getting a, like, not entirely on board vibe from Palfrey on this one. Yeah, something about this is sort of bothering Palfrey, and he would not, he would probably not vocalize this to anybody else, but keen observers will note that either he, either or both, he thinks it's a little bit unsporting to make this contraption and try to use it, or he thinks that he is owed a one-on-one confrontation with whoever they're about to fight, and he is very confident that he will win. Well, Palfrey, do you have any interest on being on Team Diversion? I'd love to. In fact, I would be happy to be Team Diversion. 
but if I can get a few more warriors with me. I'll be on team diversion. Great. That's exactly what I was hoping would happen. (laughs) (laughs) So is your plan to join like the rest of the forces or are you like a, your team diversion with this sneaking team diversion to try to get the warrior away from the crab so that the crab can make it all the way up the mountain. It's kind of what I was thinking. I don't think any one of us, I may, I may be wrong, but I don't think any of us have a ton of confidence that the other diversion will work for very long, mm. given the design that we just came up with. So I think the idea is that then when this warrior inevitably comes for us, you two will be there. And that means that only one of <coughs> the objects will be out. Like me and Pimlin will be in the... That's a good point. That's a good point. That's actually, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That we would try to to sort of hide a few of them in the crab mm-hmm. as we make our way up the mountain. Yeah, I like that. So two things. One, can I have a charisma roll from Palfrey for his contribution to this process? It's a, it's a modified four. Wow, <laughs> interesting. Okay, and then the other question is: Is there a hatch on the crab where, like, if you guys are outside of the crab and trying to distract or whatever? Do you have a way of getting into the crab? Or is it like you're either out or you're in? I, I think there would probably have to be a hatch for those of us who are in the crab to no longer be in the crab when we get to the top. <laughs> yeah, unless you're just like pushing it off or something. Oh, yeah. Basically, I'm asking, like, y- you are expressly splitting the party here. Are you fully committing to that or are you leaving yourself an escape hatch? And I'm not saying that because there's a right answer. I'm just wanting to I, th- I think that. we would have a hatch because this is the cart all over again. <laughs> where it's like, this all seems like a good idea. It can go sideways very quickly. And we're all acutely aware of how lucky we've been. So I think, I think we'd like to include one side hatch, but it, it locks from the them. inside. Okay, cool. I will say, Gebetto, from your knowledge of crafting and stuff, that that will bring down, mechanically, it'll bring down the object's AC slightly. Yeah. To have that there. Okay. Worth it. All right, well, until all right. next time. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you. See you. Bye. See you.